Hey, another great episode of Roundup is coming up next. If you like what you heard, please go online to redsearadio.org and donate, become a monthly sustaining member, and keep us on the air. Thank you and God bless. That's what you think it is. It's the beginning of Mystery of Parenthood. We ask that you would um, please take a moment, slow down, and um, I think we've got a great topic today. But let's begin, as we always do, uh, with the prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord God, from you, every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. Father, you are love and life. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, born of woman, and through the Holy Spirit, the fountain of divine charity, Grant that every family on earth may become for each successive generation a true shrine of life and love. Grant that your grace may guide the thoughts and actions of husbands and wives for the good of their families and of all the families in the world. Grant that the young may find in the family solid support for their human dignity and for their growth in truth and love. Grant that love, strengthened by the grace of the sacrament of marriage, may prove mightier than all the weaknesses and trials through which our family sometimes pass. Through the intercession of the Holy Family of Nazareth, grant that the church may fruitfully carry out her worldwide mission in the family and through the family. We ask this of you who is life, truth, and love with the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. St. John Paul II, pray for us. Holy Family of Nazareth, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Welcome aboard. There's Thaddeus, and we have one of our Hi, regulars. Trey. So excited to have Monica Ashour with Tobit on the line. Monica, how are you? How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing, guys? Uh, I'm d- doing great. It's a beautiful day. and um, We love talking to you, Monica. We love Welcome talking back. To you. Welcome back. And um, looking forward to this topic today. As I was saying that prayer, it, it came to mind that, you know, what the church teaches about family and and um the fact that we're looking at this um it's mary eberstadt is that how you say your name mm-hmm. uh, an article about the great scattering I, I love it for a lot of reasons one of the things i liked is i always always thought that music was so instrumental no pun intended and <laughs> and in, in, in delivering kind of what's going on so that's part that's part of it but talking about the great scattering and and allowing to to uh, connect that with what the church's teaching is with regard to the family, I think is important for us to draw close to, I guess, at the beginning to see what, you know, what's God's plan for marriage and family and for how that impacts a culture versus what has happened um, recently, um, I guess specifically in this country, but really internet i mean across the world i guess so anyway w- welcome aboard uh monica again tell us about tobit again and what's going on with you before we um before we move and delve into this topic yeah so thanks trey and Thaddeus, and shout out to stephanie we miss her yeah i miss her. yeah 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 this past week i was in baltimore at the usccb oh with, awesome uh, the bishops yeah and so it was great being there. Um, it was kind of a different feel than a year ago. Because a year ago, the scandal of Cardinal McCarrick, then Cardinal McCarrick, kind of came out. And so it was very different. Um, there weren't, like, a lot of security this year. Last year, I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, it's it's going to be this crazy thing. And so I'm glad that, that stuff has died down. But at the same time, I know the bishops are focused in making sure that, you know, the church, you know, goes away from any sort of, um, you know, stuff that leads people away from the church. You know, and and as we transition to this topic, I would say the church also is meant to hold a place in family life, which is crucial. You know, uh, otherwise we have this great scattering, not just um, individual families, but but also in, um, you know, the, the Catholic and Christian family, you might say. So that's kind of what was on my mind. It was a great time, um, and uh, glad to be back in Texas, though. Were you in attendance for <clears throat> Bishop Barron's uh, talk on the on the nuns? 
I had a meeting then, and so I didn't get okay. to okay. Um, go to that. But I, I hear through the grapevine, it was really, really interesting and well received. Yeah, and Did obviously you read about it, Thaddeus. That's the that's kind of the one session that I I really read anything about. Um, you know, he I thought that some of the interesting points he made were he obviously continued on his line of you know leading with with beauty and that that's a that's a, a source of of an entry point for a lot of young people today but i thought he he opened up an interesting line of a, approach and saying young people today are very interested in questions of of justice and the church has a rich you know tradition and proof in living that out um, that might also be a good way of bringing people uh, back to or into the church is is kind of leading with uh, the church's great works of charity. Um, and he said the he talked about the yeah. the works of the works of mercy, corporal and spiritual, and that's that's an interesting tie into this topic as well. Because I think people, I think young people are interested in, in questions of justice because they are probably coming from a place of a lot of disruption, instability, and frankly, injustice in their own family lives. Right. And then I would say that the word justice doesn't need to have any sort of faith-based essence to it. Mm -hmm. Although those of us who are believers, we know it's based in God's justice. Right. And so that's another way of reaching them. Right. Um, if, if they don't, like the N-O-N-E-S, the nuns, mm-hmm. if they have no religious affiliation, we mm-hmm. could reach them that way. And um, we're, we're hoping, of course, to lead them to Christ in the church. Um, but it, it is a great way, I think, of, of entering into the truth of the human person. You know, all of us deserve justice. Yeah, there were me- I guess we're meant to be part. I, it, a few things came to my mind as y'all were just talking. I mean, one is, you know, I guess it's like anything, whether it's fatherhood or family life or, you know, multiple marriages, all those things really strike it. And this is maybe going to go up higher. It's going to strike at any sense of what, of what the church is meant to be. Cause ultimately the church is family. Like, you know, the God is father and church is mother and, all those terms are using we are children um are all used but when you come from the context of of a world that you know fathers may be non-existent you know family life may really kind of be bad you know i mean why do i want to be part of any part of that if that's what they're claiming mm-hmm. right because they have nothing yeah, to tie then, into right and then then add to that which is where mary ebersett get, goes to with the great scattering article is um, nowadays, on wedding certificates, you don't say husband and wife, but spouse one and spouse two. Oh my gosh! You know it. Uh. It, it, it you know kind of takes away gender. It takes away that proper um, understanding of language, like a husband and a wife. Um, they belong together, but when you change even those words, I mean, just think about what. Um, some people way back when they, some priests who thought that they were doing the right thing, they tried to baptize and name the creator and the redeemer and the sanctifier oh, rather yeah. than using terms like father and son and father and son are familiar, familiar terms yes. of the family. And again, the, the other ones are, are more you know directed toward us. And so you're right, Trey, like they're, there's this disconnect with the family, whether it's in theology or, or whether it's in, in the living out in the culture and to our detriment, for sure. And I think if you extend it even a little bit further to kind of what Catholic Church is so central to it is the, the idea of sacrament and that there's this connection between the visible and the invisible and the matter and form and, and, and that that because we're human and we see things and we intake information as humans with our eyes, our ears, or our very lives, that it's important <laughs> what we're receiving in those things, particularly if we're making, we're making some sort of 
well, if God is linking those together, you know, using Father, using when we start getting in the way of actually just receiving what's being revealed and that we don't really take seriously what those words really mean and that we don't actually live them out in a way that a child can say, okay, that's what a father does or that's who a father is and this is what a mom does because I've seen my father do it, seen my my mother do it. This is what it means to be a child. I've experienced that. Really gives a strong sense to that there is something about being human that, that matters, that matter matters because we are human. Mm-hmm. I, I, may, I may have gone off a little bit there, but I, well, but I think it's no, important. Think it's, yeah, it is. Um, I'll give you a concrete example of what I say to engage couples every month. I think I've told you all, like the Fort Worth Diocese subcontracts Tobit, the Theology of the Body evangelization team, of which I run um, every month. There are 36 engaged couples, and toward the end, very end, like after I've built rapport with them, and you know we're we're laughing as well as taking things seriously, I'll say to one man, I'll have him stand up. I'm like, look around the room. Why would you want to just commit yourself to this one woman here? And of course, people are laughing. And I'm like, don't you like your freedom? Look around the room. You know, you can marry any of these people. You know, any of these women. And then I say, well, let me answer that for you. It's because a person is a being for another. That's a hyphenated word that Pope John Paul and then after him, Pope Benedict, speak about. Like, to be human is to be for another. Right. More broadly, as a person, including the person of the Blessed Trinity, a being for another is what a person is about. And so the terms like mother and father, in the very terminology, mm-hmm. they show that they're for each other. You know, a son and daughter means for someone. Brother and sister, that means you are for another. And when you have that security of knowing that this person will be there through thick and thin, then it establishes security in one's own identity. And so what I think Dr. Eberstadt, what she does in this, and I think we should mention where it's from. Yeah, it's. Don't you think? Yeah, what is it? It's, is Quillette? it Quillette? Quillette. Mm-hmm. And it's. It, I guess you read the. I'll read the. It was published August 27th of this year of 2019. And it's. The title is The Great Scattering How Identity Panic Took Root in the Void Once Occupied by Family Life. And. Yeah. So, I, I mean, go. I want you to. Yeah, ahead, go please. ahead. I, go ahead and continue well, from there. So I was going to tie it into that because. I mean, if there's a void, like if I don't have a family and and she extends it to like aunts and uncles and cousins and stuff like that, that people that you know that belong to you and you belong to them and the family is scattered, then of course you need someone or something or some collective group to tie yourself to because that's what it means to be human. Because we're made in God's image and likeness, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit belong to each other from all eternity. Pope John Paul even says that the Blessed Trinity, before anything was created, the Blessed Trinity, is the first family. And so that's how we're made in God's image and likeness, by being in a communion of persons. And so if there is a void there, there needs to be something um, for us to fall to. And that's why what you said, Thaddeus, is very smart. Like, she's trying to show... The identity politics just didn't spring from nowhere. And, you know, this this kind of victimhood that some people are, are you know, kind of bringing forth. Well, they are in a sense of victim. Victim, yes. If the family is broken down because you don't have anybody to uh, to be there through, you know, thick and thin for you. That's that's my take on this. Yeah, I, th- I want to read from uh, Cardinal Robert Seurat's new book, The Day Is Now Far Spent, that I've been working my th- way through. And there's an tremendous quote that goes right to what you just said, Monica. And he writes, I can also say that the family is the great rampart of love. It is the ultimate recourse of all who know that they are in danger. When everything is going badly, one naturally returns to his family. Nevertheless, from divorce to gender theory by way of abortion and contraception, it seems that the institution of the family has become the focus of all the attacks and all the contempt. But I think that that insight that people, when their life is falling apart, they naturally go back to their 
to their family. That's that's the, that's the human instinct. And um, when that's not there, yeah, you're going to turn to other forms of group identification or other forms of belonging. Natural. That just makes so much sense. And it and there's a, there's some there's an essence which I think is the, an understanding of who human is. So like being for someone is built into the way we were made and and that helps us that should help us to be able to communicate with somebody even that's on the other side of this argument because we understand as catholics the revealed truth that we are meant for somebody so everybody is looking to be part of it and there's and there's great comfort in that from a practical standpoint i look back at my parents personally and and now i recognize kind of why, what they did. So when they would get into an argument or disagreement or something like that, I, I may have mentioned this before, but I think this is a challenge to all of us who are parents to make sure that our children understand if they ever do see that. And in fact, maybe it, it's good for them to see to a certain extent that there is some disagreement, maybe even some going back that my parents always would sit us down and they would say this, we will not ever get divorced. <laughs> I mean, they would say that. <laughs> We, we, we are we are 100 percent together. You can count on as long as we both live us being here together for you. And anytime that we saw an argument or, or something and I you know, I don't think that they were working at it from a theological standpoint. But again, like most things, you know, you sometimes take for granted you need to sometimes connect the dots for your children. And my parents were doing that. Anytime that we saw some some sort of altercation or disagreement that may have, you know, like I said, there we were Irish, so you know when feelings were hurt or when something, sometimes it would escalate and it would be seen. But in the world that we were in, they knew that we that we needed to know as children that you can count on us as long as we're alive to be here for you. I think even more today, families ought to make sure in whatever the most appropriate manner, concretely, that their children know that. I guess it first takes people who are really committed that way. <laughs> I mean, it is part of the vows, but I think some people do go in saying, hey, we're just going to see how this works and maybe don't say mm -hmm. that. What do you think about that? I mean, I, I just I, that made me think of the fact that as a concrete matter that sometimes we have to articulate to our children as appropriate and in appropriate ways, not just say, hey, well, you should know that. It's like saying, I love you. You My mom was always like, you have, to, you need to say that. And then you need to do it, <laughs> but, but you need to say it. You can't just say, well, don't you know I do? I don't know. What yeah, I think that's, I think that's great, Trey. I, I really do because um, especially when you live in this milieu, this culture, where you turn around and there's someone else getting divorced, someone else getting divorced, for children to have stability, they need to know that you're going to stick it out, that you know that their parents are going to stick it out. And Dr. Bob Schutz, um, he's with the Jump All Two Institute in Tallahassee, Florida. He's taught me a lot. And what he says is that for children to have maturity, to get to purity, they count on the parents and their love. So he describes it this way. The parents' love for each other gives security, which moves to maturity, which moves to purity. And so there wow. it is basically what you're, you're saying, you know, that there's a security that they don't have to worry about. And yeah, so what I say to the couples, um, you know, after I joke, like, why would you want to commit? Then I'll say, let's say his name is John and hers is Teresa. Like, you become it after your vows, John for Teresa. And you yeah. become Teresa for John. And that gives it freedom. Why? Because you know whom to say yes to and then whom to say no to. Like, if we're all scattered, you know, kind of going again, again to this right, uh, idol of scattering, if we're also scattered in our commitments, then it's hard to give that security. And so when a husband and wife know that they're for each other through thick and thin, then they also know who they're for with regard to, to children. And I kind of would like to add, if y'all don't, you two no, men go, don't mind, no, please go um, 
you know, just for parents, because I can imagine, you know, if someone's listening and, and she's a mom of four and they're all young and it's really hard and, you know, or a mom of two and you're like, gosh, you know, I, th- I think I'm done. I'm just going to have two. They know they I love them, whatever. Well, I'm a woman who's approaching age 55. I'm single. You know, I, I discern religious life. I was engaged once. My joke is not at the same time for both of those. <laughs> but it, it didn't work out. Those vocations did not work out for me. And why am I sharing that? Because my parents sacrificed when we when I was little. And I have my brothers and sisters. Like, there are six of us, and we still celebrate together. We, we met, you know, this past Friday after, you know, one of my nieces and nephews, they were in a drama together. And, you know, I know to whom I belong. And so people who are single later on in life, my parents gave me some people to belong to. I mean, I have dear, dear right. friends. You know, they're there for me. But there's something about the family that is so crucial. And so for parents who, like, it's really difficult now, think about in the future what you're giving to your children by giving them not only the faith, but by giving them each other brothers and sisters. I think it's such a good, good thing to, to give to your children. And it's, go ahead. I was, I was going to add that just the, over the weekend, um, my wife and I, we were talking about how we want to be more conscious about insisting that, or let's say making sure that when the kids get up in the morning, they don't just say good morning to Robin and me, but they say good morning to one another. And that when they go to bed at night, they don't just say good night to Robin and me, but they say good night to one another. Now, what's the big deal about that? Because someday Robin and I are not going to be there anymore and they're going to need one another. And I think that's just a little example of you have to start habits and ways of life within the family of the children clinging to one another, not just individually clinging to the parents. Absolutely. I I mean, I, I couldn't, I mean, that's, that's perfect. And every family's different from that standpoint, but we went to great lengths, you know, as our kids are growing up to, to say you are, we didn't use the words, but we were effectively saying you are for your brother. So, you know, somebody needs help, you help them. You know, do you don't say, well, go get the help from dad. If you can help them with a right. math problem or right. with whatever, then you help them. And what's been cool is now that two have moved on and one's gotten married and, and when we get back together, you can see them talk and now you can hear them on their own. I mean, the triplets are by themselves at home. And I'll hear from, a you know, one walk in and say, hey, I'm going to bed, but can I get up in the morning? We can work on this. And I'll hear, I love you to yeah. each other. Yeah. And they're 18 years old. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, what I'm saying is that's not – we didn't say, okay, you have to say I love you to somebody. But we, we did that, that I love you is, okay, I'm going to be here to help you. Right. for that right. and you start seeing the fruit you're pitching those pennies as we've talked about so many times those little things that you think don't matter or you don't you know to to be conscious and intentional to say it's important for y'all to have that interaction again where are they going to get that you have to connect the dots right. it doesn't just happen right you know and but then it starts to happen because that's what you have. You know, at this age, it's so cool to hear one sister say, hey, I love you. Good night. Another one say, I love you, too. <laughs> I mean, in the house. That, that's an awesome thing. I don't think we said, oh, I want them saying that. I said we kind of lived it. We said y'all are for each other. Not in those words. but yeah. and, and if you do that day after day, that's what's going to happen because that's what you want to happen. So anyway, I, but I, it was beautiful what you said. It just made me think of that. Thank you, Trey. Yeah, great point, uh, Thaddeus and Trey. I, it, I'll, I'll bounce off of that to do more theology of the body, but apply it to parenting, because what you two are establishing in your own family by helping brothers and sisters to get along and be there for each other, that um, reminds me of the scripture from Song of Songs, I love you, my sister, my bride. So that's a direct quote from the sacred writer of scripture. I love you, my sister, my bride. 
And so what St. John Paul does is he takes a look at that. Now, don't say this to junior high. I love you, my sister, my bride. Right. <laughs> the kids are like, what? I'm never going to marry my brother or sister. You know, they know by then it's a bit weird. Mm-hmm. But what I say to engaged couples is I'll say, all right, um, you know, John, have you ever thought about, you know, Susie as a sister? And he's like, no. And Susie says, no, I've never thought about him as a brother. And then I asked him these questions, and I because this is what Pope John Paul basically says about brother and sister relationships. Um, he says they'll always belong together. So I'm like, after y'all take vows, will you belong to each other through thick and thin? And they both said yes. And then I say, and then, you know, would you say that you're different? Are you a man? Are you a woman? Yeah, yeah, they agree with that. And then I said, and, and are you equal? And sometimes they joke, I'm better, you know, whatever. But they know that they're equal. And then the last one is not really funny because – I said, would you ever want to lust after your own future bride? And, of course, he says no, and she says no. And and so those three things are in the theology of the body. And so then I changed my PowerPoint slide. I'm like, but you do see each other as brother and sister because you said you belong, that you're equal but different, complementary, and that you will love, not use, because use is the opposite of love. And so... Um, and, and then um, they, they get it. They're like, oh, I love you, my sister, my bride. In other words, I say to the men, you need to see every single one of us as woman, as a sister before you think about marrying one of us. Ladies, all of the guys as brother before you think about marrying one of them. So I do this. And then I'm sharing on Wednesday nights. Um, I have a group of 20-year-olds. And these are young people who are eager to, th- you know, to learn about theology of the body. And so... The other month, like a month ago, I said, hey, have you ever thought about like your brothers and sisters growing up? And so they were kind of reflecting on that. And then I said, do you know that that was part of marriage preparation? And they're like, what? And then I explained what I just said. Mm-hmm. And so their minds were blown. And they're like, oh, I get it. By establishing a brother and sister relationship when we're young, we're kind of understanding what marriage is about. You know, of course, it's not sexualized, but um, how important that is. So to apply, you know, again, to apply this, the mystery of parenthood. Yeah, it is. Just by teaching brothers and sisters, you know, your sons and daughters, how to love each other. That's a form of marriage preparation. I mean, it's a form of, you know, vocation to the priesthood or religious life as well. And so um, I I would say that that is part of this belonging um, that we're talking about rather than the scattering. Yeah, that's a that's great. I've never I've not ever heard it quite that way, but it's true. And as you get older, I mean, I you know, seven. I've been married thirty some odd years. We're getting old. I mean, she's becoming more. You know, I mean, she's like my best friend. She's my. I mean, she sent me just a an old, a song, old Alan Jackson song this today, and just remember when. Well, I mean, I I mean, I just heard it. It made me cry. But that's more about a relate long term relationship with somebody that you're committed to and he so, was a guy with a big cowboy hat and the big I, I mustache guess, is that right i guess but if you don't i mean I, I after so many years of being married you know and you just have a flood of of when you hear a song yeah not not the song itself but like then you start taking what they're talking about you know when they were little feet on the floor and yep. the lines like that you know you start having a flood of memories and realize how long you've been with somebody and that while there are some aspects that certainly are, are are the attraction. The vast majority of it is two people who have effectively grown up together. You know, I mean, as a adults mm-hmm. has grown up together with a common mission, a common vision, and you realize how much. I mean, I was. I mean, it started tearing up. I was just. I, I said, but I said, you don't know how much I really. I love you, and there's nothing there other than, wow, you thought about me. Wow. <laughs> That song, you know, make me choke. I'm choking up thinking about it right now. I mean, and it was just a moment, but that's from being part of the same family, albeit the married partners of the family. But I don't know if there's a beauty to that that kind of prepares you for beyond when it's all about just being enamored with one another, which is was certainly there. And it becomes more than that, it becomes deeper than that. Mm-hmm becomes wider than that. It it becomes something that's like, man, I, I mean, you are, <laughs> you and I are 
us. I mean, I don't, I don't know how to how to say that any, <laughs> any better. I mean, it's it's it, it is tremendous, and I do. I don't know. Anyway, I don't think I would have seen her as a sister earlier on, but now I look at her, I'm like, yeah, I mean, I can see that now. You know, what's interesting about what you said to me, Monica, is that I think that I, Robin and I, we adjudicate a lot of arguments or interactions between our two oldest ones who are only 17 months apart, and one of them is a boy and one of them is a girl. Um, How old are they? Uh, 11 and nine and a half. Okay. Um, we put a lot of counseling and discussion in terms of, well, when you are old enough to, when you're going to be married, when you're going to be a husband, you're not going to want to talk to your wife this way or treat your husband this way. And we, we have just done it sort of unthinkingly, not with this, this theological background in mind. So I I think that just goes to show just how our Catholic faith is just, you know, right on the money. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, really cool. If y'all would um, allow me to, there's this great paragraph from Mary Eberstadt, um, and it's precisely on what we're, we're talking about here. So Perfect. she says, a Canadian study published in 2018 suggests that siblings learn empathy from one another, mm-hmm. independent of birth order. Mm-hmm. And then she also says, another study has found that the likelihood of divorce later in life can be predicted by the number of siblings one has. The higher that number, the lower the likelihood of divorce. Wow. And she says, as with other analyses of the benefits of having brothers and sisters, the authors conjecture that the necessity of sharing resources prepares siblings for essential social skills later in life such as bargaining and taking terms. <laughs> and then later on, she talks about, you know, the uh, understanding the opposite sex more when you have brothers and sisters. So once again, like the, the brilliance of the family and the sacrifice of you parents, you know, and, and raising kids and being diligent, you know, and, and intentional and, and helping them to navigate life. Such an important thing. Yeah. So it, I think it's just, it, it speaks to, the great wisdom of God, particularly in the sacrament of marriage, it, you find things, it's kind of like you're going through life and you're doing these things and then you get something theological and you're like, well, I've been doing that all along. Isn't that, <laughs> I mean, I, I find that all the time that like you look at it and you go, wow. I mean, that's kind of built into it. So we're le- we're learning what it means. And then sometimes the meaning isn't necessarily until like right now, when you said, Sis, you know, my sister, my bride, <laughs> It never hit me that that was something there, but now, and with what you're saying, Thaddeus, that interaction and building those relationships and putting them as important relationships as parents is critical to to being intentional. And now, I mean, for the first time, literally to right now, it's the first time I've ever seen that, yeah, that's going to help them Yeah. in that. I don't yeah. know, it's like it, all of a sudden it... it it makes sense. And it seems like it's, again, it's part of the mystery. We always say that like, you know, you kind of, you're doing it. And then sometimes this wisdom will say, uh, yeah, this is why we did it. This is why I did it this way. This Mm -hmm. is why this is meant to be this way. Um, and you don't find that out till after you've, you've, you've been doing it. And then you're like, wow, I can't believe that that's, but anyway, there's just such great wisdom um, obviously from, from God with regard to delivering it this way. But I find that that's often the case that it, you don't find out until after you've done it, as long as you're intentional, prayerful, consciously, meaningfully trying to do what you're called to do as a husband, as a wife, as a parent. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that all that we've been talking about goes right into kind of the central point of her article where she brought up the question of um, identity politics is sort of the, is the new answer to the age-old question of human, human existence, which is, who am I? And that for, you know, millennia, your family, your family was, that, was that answer. Um, because 
I think the normal human response when, when asked who am I or when we're self-reflecting on that, you know, you say, well, I'm, I'm the husband of Stephanie, I'm the father of all your children, I'm the son of right. so-and-so, maybe, you know, maybe you'd say I'm a Texan, um, and she's, she, I've heard her make points in interviews that I've listened to her with that in the ultimate example, people of faith have the ability to say, I am a child of God. Right. And, and what, um, comfort that brings to people and how, how bereft people are if they if they can't also claim that identity. Do you want to do you want to speak to that a little bit, Monica? I I do. Yeah, I would. Um, it's, it's brilliant what you're saying because if we don't know that we are son or daughter of God the Father in Jesus Christ, that's a real problem. But even on a natural level. Right. Like with identity politics, like I, I've talked to many people who have been produced by in vitro fertilization. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and maybe some of your listeners have experienced that. So this is not like being mean or anything. But the point remains is that um, there are articles out there about how hard it is for children who now they don't know who their real father is. Yeah. You know, and and maybe it's a surrogate mom, and therefore, who are my real brothers and sisters, and who are my, you know, and so, again, it's this fragmentation of the person, Um, and and part of it has to do with our misunderstanding of what it means to be human, made in God's image and likeness, you know, knowing that we are secure in our own parents' love, which reflects, you know, God the Father's love. You know, and then when our spiritual fathers, priests are there for us, mm-hmm. you know, when we see a whole bunch of religious sisters, like Mother Superior and the sisters around, those are also supernatural ways of kind of gaining our identity and knowing to whom we belong. But again, it's just this fragmentation, uh, which is why it doesn't surprise me that um, one of the... Um, the main thing, so the bishops just came up with a 2021 20 through 2024 strategic plan. And among those, which of course is near and dear to my heart, has to do with anthropology. Mm-hmm. And another way of saying the word anthropology is who am I? Mm-hmm. You know, what does it mean to be human? And so here's a direct quote from the USCCB. One of their strategic plans is to articulate a convincing anthropology of the human person, comma, male and female, comma, as proclaimed by faith and affirmed by science and right reason. So notice both of those, yeah. proclaimed by faith, by revelation. And so we know through the Bible, we know through the, the, the tradition of the church, um, who we are as a, a human person, male and female. But I love what the bishops added, affirmed by science and right reason. So it's not just like you have to be Catholic or Christian in order to know who you are. No, we can help ourselves to understand who we are by science and right reason. And it it reminds me of my final book. God, talk about giving birth to children. I've told you before, like this is the 18th of 18. I'm so tired of my children, these 18 books. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I need an empty nest. Well, yeah, show our mother of 18. <laughs> wow. Take that the right way, everyone. Uh, uh. Um, and so, but in the last book, we are talking about the truth of science is part of the, uh, one of our spreads. Mm-hmm. But it's not just, you know, learning from the Bible who we are. But science tells us, like, our bodies tell us we're made for communion, our, uh, and, and our bodies tell us that, you know, things like sterilization is wrong, because you would not cut off a perfectly fun- functioning hand. Right. Why would you do that with regard to our sexuality? Right. You know, our, our bodies tell us that abortion is wrong. You know, yeah, we could have recourse to, you know, religion, but, uh, you know, the female body says that there's something amiss about that. And so, you know, part of the the reason why I think we also have these identity politics is we've forgotten that the body matters. 
And what the body helps to see is that we're made to be for others. We're made to be for, you know, relationships and particularly for family members. And so I, I think what y'all are saying is spot on with regard to your own families. Um, hopefully that answers your, your question, Daddy. It does, and it, and it makes me want to read again from Cardinal Seurat. Um, he writes, he's speaking about uh, surrogate gestation, surrogate birthing, and he says that the children of that, quote, will bear for their whole lives the burden of an anonymous birth. And he goes on that this system threatens to muddle the very notion of filiation and to turn children into perpetually displaced persons. And I I thought his use of the term displaced persons there is very poignant because he is a cardinal from Africa, and he knows very much what, what it means to be a displaced person, to have people across that continent who cannot return to their homeland, they cannot go back to their tribal lands because of the way borders were drawn or because of civil war or famine, violence, and that's a fact of life on the continent that he comes from. And he's saying all the social um, pathologies that come from that, that's being introduced potentially into societies that practice surrogate gestation on a widespread and, and basis. What came to mind for me is just tying it back into kind of this mysteries as you were talking about that. You know, my dad knows me by name. He named me. Yeah. You know, your dad knows you by name. He names you. Mm-hmm. We believe that God the Father <laughs> through is the first one who knew us by name. Mm-hmm. Well, if if the expenses my dad doesn't even know I exist. Right. My much less what my name is. That mm-hmm. sounds like such a small thing, but it it communicates something tremendous with regard to God, the being a child of God the Father, mm-hmm. because my experience of not only fatherhood but of being a child in my own family is my dad knew me <laughs> from the beginning. He knew he wanted me from the beginning. He knows me today. There's never been a time when he didn't know me from a purely natural on a purely natural level. And mm-hmm. that's a big deal, yeah. I think. It, it, it's powerful, Trey, what you're saying. And it, it makes me want to um, reiterate what you and Stephanie would say to each other. Like, I'm, I'm with you no matter what. And then to say that, not only like to your children, we won't get divorced, but say to each individual child, you know, I, I will never leave you. Like, I will always love you. I will always accept you, you know? And I don't know if you need the caveat until when they're older, like I might not accept all of your decisions, but you, you will always belong to me no matter what. Right. And what security that gives to a child. And, you know, surely the prodigal son pops into my head. Like that kid went off and, you know, spent all of his, you know, inheritance, but the father, you know, was there, you know, bringing him back. And what you said, Thaddeus and Trey, reminds me of the section of the theology of the body about pornography. And mm-hmm. actually, he calls it pornovision. And what he says there is the reason why um, that is wrong is because it's anonymous. Yeah. So um, for right. a husband and wife to be vulnerable together yeah. um, in that sacred um, act is because they know each other and therefore that bodily, bodily action kind of corresponds. But the, the danger of the, the point of vision is that, um, that the, the, the person's anonymous. And so this technology that we've developed is actually an aberration because the child is now in a sense anonymous. Yep. I mean, how sad that must be that he, he or she doesn't know you know, who his true parents are. And to, to lead again to um, the theology body toward the very end, what Paul talks about is like, um, you know, some technology, and he's talking about contraception, but the technology that we call progress is actually detrimental to the human person. 
Right. And so this, you know, the, the in vitro fertilization and surrogacy and, and what have you that Cardinal Seurat is bringing up, again, that's called progress, but actually it's the opposite. It's not helping, you know, the individual to understand who he or she, he or she is. But just to make sure that the viewers know that the church is not anti-science. The, the church is anti-science, which, you know, you know, does harm to the individual. So things like NAPRO technology, natural procreative technology, is out there which heals the fertility of a couple, particularly the woman. And so, you know, the, the church is, is, you know, pro that because it helps the individual and helps couples who might experience the, the sadness of infertility to be able to actually conceive. So um, anyway, I just want to make and, sure that people... Right, are and, I, and that. I just as an aside, I mean, we love those people who have come into existence as a result of that. It's not, it's right. not, yeah. it's just, it's just, it does make it difficult to fully grasp because you have no experience of it. T- tell me, if I'm there, and maybe it was in the Redeemer of Man, I'm, I'm not sure, but John Paul II talks about one cannot love until they've actually experienced love. Is Is that a misquote or... It's close. It's, it's Redemptor Thomas uh, 10, Redeemer Man. It's his first encyclical. And he says, man, meaning men and women, cannot live without love. Right. Basically, his life becomes um, let's see, senseless and incomprehensible unless he has experienced love. Yeah. And that's almost a direct quote. In other words, we receive our identity from others who love us. So again, the identity politics, it seems like these people are experiencing love because they have some sort of belonging, but it's because of the void, the scattering that, you know, identity politics has, you might say, rightly so, come about. Right, but that, unfortunately, it's it's a misguided identity because the family uh, now has a void there. And that's what one of the things that's one of my, something close to my heart is a challenge to men, which is she talks at great lengths about the the absence of fathers, um, and I see it all the time now. I mean, I you know, there's some that you don't see. I go to these football games and such great kids, and but where's dad? I mean, he's not mm-hmm. living with them. He he he's not around. You know, I'm thinking I yeah. can't. You know, even as busy as my dad was, you know, he came to games. Even as busy as my dad was, you know, he told me he was proud of me. He, you know, <laughs> all all those things are. Those are just little pennies, but they amount to so much. They're compounded <laughs> in interest, I think, sure. to do that. Sure. And yeah. I don't know if you had any thoughts on what she says about that. It seems an important thing well, to note. Yeah, yeah, of course. Of course, I, I'd like to comment on that with a quick story. When I was flying back from Baltimore, I sit next to these people and I was exhausted, but I'm like, okay, I'm going to read my book and just enjoy the sixth grade book. It's called the body of Christ. And, and then this man next to me after a bit, he goes, Oh, so you do theology of the body. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, who are you? And it was this incognito priest. He normally wears clerical garb, but he was traveling with um, this person and uh, and they were visiting this other priest. And so we got to talking and he said, you know what my ministry I do it's called the prodigal father, and he's trying to get fathers to understand the vitalness of their um, presence in their children's lives. And so I would recommend that. This, this priest was amazing, and we had a great conversation. said the rosary at the end of the, the flight. Um, nice. But I also want to talk about motherhood. Um, yes. In my marriage. Bring life. him on, Monica. Next time you're on the show, bring, <laughs> bring him on with you. Yeah. Okay. That's a great idea. <laughs> yeah. I'll connect y'all. Um, but remember the word womb in Hebrew means God's compassion. So you mothers out there who are Mm. struggling and it's hard and whatever, just think about your very body lets us know that God has compassion. And then let's break down the word compassion. It means suffering with. And Pope Benedict says that motherhood is like the deepest reference for a child because that child knows that you will be for him or her through thick and thin. And so, wow, motherhood and fatherhood, how sublime a vocation, you know, and the mystery of parenthood, I think y'all are right on by having, you know, this, this radio show with that name. 
because right. it, it's vital. There's no deeper, you know, you're the man, Trey. Pope Benedict says, yeah, with, with regard to motherhood, just knowing through thick and thin that the, the mom will be there for the child. How right. And, and, that is. and it's crazy because because even and now I'm seeing more than I've ever seen before, just experientially moms who aren't around that much or even moms who've mm-hmm. left dads, <laughs> you know, to go. So I, I, I'm afraid that this, this whole equality thing and some of the culture that we're in is saying, well, if, you know, if he can go leave, then I can leave too. Uh, unfortunately is this entire breakdown of what God's plan is for us. I, we're, we're at the end. We, this is, I, I, I love this topic because it just points to the fact that as you out there, parents who are listening, that you, the little stuff that you do, the little words that you say, the way you act as a mother, as a father, as a brother, as a sister, is vital to communicating God to your children to the extent that you do it in a way that shows love properly. But anyway, we're down, we got like, you have maybe like 30, 30 seconds to tie it in a bow <laughs> yeah, for now. I, 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 thank you. I usually mention Tobit.org, T-O-B-E-T dot org. I'm Monica Asher from the Theology of the Body Evangelization Team, and we are finishing up um, our The Body Matters series. And so for those who are thinking about, like, Christmas presents and things like that, yes, please. go to Tobit.org, and uh, I would love to, to be able to um, offer that to you. And if you want my uh, signature on one of them, I would love to do that. Just uh, when you order, just ask me to do that. Um, it would be my pleasure. That, that would be great. So we'll make sure that they do that. Go out and get her stuff. Her stuff is awesome. I love having Monica. It's always it's always shorter than I'd like it to be because like more. But that's why we have her as a regular guest. So, Monica, thank you so much for all you're doing and for being part of this. But um, you're welcome. we really, really appreciate it. But anyway, I'm going to leave with, with this. Uh, Ephesians 3.14, uh, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Ephesians Three. Oh my goodness what are you doing that's really good but anyway guys out there remember ladies gentlemen pray <laughs> parent with a purpose and prepare for God to amaze you because he will I love you Steph gave our hearts made the start and it was hard we lived and learned life through curves there was joy There was her